As the Christian church has done for centuries, when the gospels read, uh, the Christian church has stood. Please stand. The gospel lesson, which is also our sermon text this morning, is taken from Matthew chapter 17, one of the three accounts in the gospels about the transfiguration of Jesus. <clears throat> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, Christian people are certainly subject to kind of a roller coaster ride when it comes to comes to the comes to their faith or our faith. You know, some days we feel strong and some days we don't feel so strong. It happens all the time. I've seen in Christian churches that I've been a pastor of um, that there are those who may have been inactive five years ago, but something touched them. And that something must have been the Holy Spirit because they became very active. On the other hand, there are also those who kind of fade away. Now, I'm not saying that this is the way it should be. I'm just saying this is reality. And the fact is that our faith, when it starts flickering, we need to beware. We need to be warned. Don't let your faith go out. Don't let the flame of faith go out. Now we can ask the question, what's the reason? Why does this happen? Well, <laughs> there are any number of reasons, don't you think? Perhaps it's some sin that you're dealing with or a person is dealing with and, uh, and, and just, just absolutely is taken over by it. Or perhaps uh, there's a relationship that went, went south, uh, that soured. And so it's hard to, to, to keep loving Jesus when it seems like life has fallen apart. Uh, sometimes it might be just this that the focus is off from Jesus because of something else in life. Perhaps the job has become so consuming that you really don't have any time for anything else. And unfortunately, that also means Jesus. And it shouldn't be that. Now the fact is, when 
when Paul says this to us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, (laughs) sometimes we have to admit, it's just hard, Lord. It's hard to rejoice. Or when the psalmist says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When we awaken in the morning, we feel like weeping anyway. Today, today is, as I said before, uh, Transfiguration Sunday, as you well know. The last Sunday in Epiphany, the season in which the Lord kind of reveals himself to us as the Savior of all. We change themes in Lent. In fact, uh, you're going to see different color pyramids next Sunday. It's going to be purple. Because in the season of Lent, the theme is one of repentance, and purple is the color of repentance. But before we, before we get into Lent, before we get into seeing the gory Jesus, let's take a look at the glory of Jesus. On the mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration. And while we're up there, enjoy it. But know this, that we must come down from the mountain to work on the plain. I've always thought the transfiguration of Jesus is a a little bit mysterious to me. Uh, My wife can verify this, that uh, I say this all the time that I hope when I get to heaven that there's going to be a little audiovisual room where all the great events of the Bible are recorded and I hope things aren't so complicated uh, like they are down on this earth that I can actually figure out how to run it. Um, I pray that, uh, I hope, if the Lord doesn't want to have it, and uh, I'll find out some other way, that's great. But I, I would certainly like to see again the first six days of creation. When the Lord said, let there be, <laughs> and there was. Wow. Wouldn't you like an instant replay? Or, I think another one would be the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea. 1956, Cecil B. DeMille tried to replicate it, but I'm sure what he did isn't anywhere near as spectacular as the way it really was. And certainly I'd like to go back on that dawn of that first Easter morning and be at the tomb and watch all the activity that took place there. And you know, I'd like to see this again, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew tells us about it. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Jesus took three of the twelve disciples, Peter, James, and John, and took them up an unnamed mountain, and there, suddenly, they got to see, I got a, pre- a preview of what heaven was going to be like. All of a sudden, Jesus' face began to shine like the bright sun. His clothes became whiter than anything they had ever seen. 
Now, I guess the disciples were certainly surprised, and perhaps we should be surprised too, but then on the other hand, should we really? (laughs) And what I mean by that is this, Jesus was doing spectacular things all the while, right? He was doing all sorts of miracles. He raised Jairus' daughter, the youth of Nain, even his good friend Lazarus. Um, there were the miracles that he, he did when he healed the, the, the blind and the deaf and uh, the dumb, those who couldn't speak. Um, he caused those who were paralyzed to walk. He spoke and the clouds listened to him because, because bad weather suddenly turned into good weather. And he would feed thousands and thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. So what's surprising about the fact that his face began to shine like a bright light and his clothes became whiter than anything they had ever seen? Truly is remarkable. But like all the miracles that Jesus has done, all the miracles, what do they prove? In the book of John, we're told, Jesus did many other miracles that are not written in this book, but these are written to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Son of God, and that by faith in him, we have life in his name. These miracles prove that he is God. And the disciples certainly saw that. And now we might ask the question, why did he take take Peter, James, and John along? And why not the other disciples? Well, the Bible doesn't really teach us that, doesn't really reveal that to us. And and yet, you know, it is kind of interesting when you talk about Peter, James, and John, they were truly pillars of the early Christian church in that first century. James didn't last that long. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he was the first of the apostles to be martyred. You know, maybe that's the reason Maybe that's the reason. Jesus certainly knew that and wanted him to see him, wanted to see, he wanted James to see Jesus in all of his glory. And maybe they would, that would remind him of, of, of uh, who he was and that what he was going through was going to be worth it. And besides, he could go up to Elijah and Moses and say, how are you? I just saw you. I guess when it comes to our deathbed, at least I'm going to say that about myself, I'm sure you're saying the same. My wife may not believe this. I don't want to be watching ESPN. I want to be reading the scriptures. I want someone to read this particular section of scripture because this truly is a preview of what heaven is going to be like. I'd like someone to read to me things like Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah was taken up into heaven. I'd like someone to read to me 1 Thessalonians 4. You can look that one up yourself. Or Revelation chapter 7, one of my favorites. Or Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I want to be comforted, as we all do, about where we're going and how magnificent it truly is. Maybe that's what he was doing for James. 
What about Peter? Well, <laughs> Peter, as we know, he was the spokesman for the disciples, right? Uh, and and uh, he didn't always get it right. Oftentimes he spoke and stuck his foot in his mouth. And then sometimes what he said was absolutely spectacular. There were times when he zigged when he should have zagged, and there were times when he zagged when he should have zigged. Think about the night that Jesus was taken into captivity when he was arrested. There was Peter in a reckless courage, taking a, taking a sword and lopping off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, maybe it was reckless courage, but he didn't show much courage later on when he was there in the, in the court of Caiaphas and denied knowing the Lord Jesus three times. Peter, as we know from our epistle lesson here this morning, really valued this particular incident there on the mountain because he wrote about it in his second letter. And I'm sure he just completely remembered and, and uh, remembered the scene that day. This is my son whom I love, with him with whom I am well pleased. Remembering that mountaintop experience certainly must have given courage to go through life because he too suffered a martyr's death. Well, what about John? Well, as we know, John was the only one that, of the apostles that didn't die a martyr's death. All right? And yet, understand this, that he didn't have an easy life to go through. He was truly a leader longer than anybody else. He was truly a leader of the Christian church there in that first century. But he was put out on an Alcatraz-type island, of Patmos, uh, there because of his witness toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He was uh, reading his second and third epistles. We understand that certainly people came to him and, and, and knew him as the apostle of Jesus. But life was tough for him too. So we can understand why he had this mountaintop experience to get him through, to get us all through. But you know what? <clears throat> Some of us might be saying right about now, now, Pastor, uh, Peter, James, and John, they got this mountaintop experience, right? How about me? How about me? And who hasn't said this? You know, it'd be a whole lot easier to believe in you, Jesus, if we had something spectacular like that, too. That we could have seen you in all your, your glory and, and strength and splendor and majesty. If somehow we could see it. Well, then Jesus would say to us, hold everything. Because you have. In fact, you experience it every Sunday. Every Sunday. Every time you worship, 
every time you have a devotion. I mean, think about it. What does Jesus say to us? He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Right? We've gathered in Jesus' name. And guess who's here? But Jesus himself. I love that hymn. I guess I, I, I thought maybe we should have chosen it for today, but you remember this hymn? He says, God himself is present. Let us now adore him and with awe appear before him. God is in his temple. All within keep silent. Prostrate lie with deepest reverence. Him alone, God we own. Him our God and Savior. Praise his name forever. We're in the Lord's house. And because we're in the Lord's house, that truly is a mountaintop experience. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there at all. You see, when you uh, come into church and you walk through those doors, what do you see? You see an altar, and you just look off to your left a little bit, and you see a baptismal font. A lot of churches just put it right in the middle. Right there. And there's a reason for that. And it's, there's a reason for it to be so prominently displayed on the altar like you do. Because it shows to us, it reminds us that either at this particular, this particular uh, uh, font or some other font, waters were washed over us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We were born again. I mean, you think about all the promises that came with your baptism or anyone's baptism. You think about how we were washed away, our sins were washed away. You think about how we were born again, you know, John chapter 3. You think about how our sins were forgiven. You think about how we were connected with Jesus. One of my favorite passages in the scripture comes from Romans chapter 6, where it's talking about baptism. And what it says there about baptism is that we were united with Jesus Christ. And when we were united with Jesus Christ, the Greek word that's used there is the word engraft. You know, when you get a skin graft, there's the, uh, there's the, uh, the skin from some other part of the body, placed on a scar, placed on a wound or whatever it is, and what happens? That the skin becomes part of the body right there. When we were baptized, we were engrafted into Jesus. So when it goes on to say, Jesus was crucified, well, we were crucified with him when we were baptized. When, when uh, we were baptized, it also says we were buried with him. When uh, we were baptized, we rose with him. Everything that Jesus did becomes ours and is ours, including the forgiveness of sins that he won for us. <laughs> Mountaintop experience, isn't it? Being reminded of our baptism? And it doesn't stop there. Think of the Lord's Supper. We come into church to receive the Lord's Supper. 
But it's not just bread, it's not just wine that we eat. The scriptures make it very clear that with the bread and with the wine we receive the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. And Jesus invites us as individuals to partake. And he deals with us on a one-on-one basis. And he says, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood which is shed for you. I'm giving you the proof. I'm giving you the assurance that you are indeed forgiven. Because that's what he says, given and shed for the, what? Forgiveness of sins. So we can walk away with a smile on our face. And we, we understand how Jesus, Jesus did indeed just assure us that we are his children, that he has given us life and salvation and forgiveness through the body and blood that we receive. Mountaintop experience, isn't it? Well, how about this? doesn't end there. <laughs> There's more to talk about. He says, uh, it says here, Just then uh, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, here were two great men from the Old Testament. Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses. Now, when you think about them, they had, they had two very unusual ways they parted this earth. Right? Elijah didn't even die. He was taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot, right? And then there was Moses. Remember what happened to him when he went up on the mountain? And it was the Lord himself who buried him. And they're there on the top of the mountain. And Peter, James, and John got to witness. And they spoke to each other. The Bible says in another place, he says, they spoke about, they talking to Jesus, is they spoke about his departure, which uh, he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Again, I hope in that audiovisual room, I get to hear again exactly the conversation. I like to hear what they said to Jesus. Quoting some of the things that Moses wrote, or that Elijah preached, knowing that the Savior was coming, And then it says that while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then he said, listen to him. All right. Mountaintop experience. What happens when we come to church? Yes, we're reminded that Jesus is with us. We're reminded of the promises of baptism. We receive the Lord's Supper, and we get to listen to Jesus as he speaks to us through his word and tells us about all the things that he has done for us, about his love and his compassion, the hope that he gives, the forgiveness that he gives, the mercy and, and, uh, and, and all the good things that he does for us by grace. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, Peter was kind of caught up in the moment. 
And he wants to stay there. I mean, there they are on top of the mountain. He's getting a preview of heaven. Lord, <laughs> it's good for us to be here. Yes, it is. How about if we stay? Because that's what he wanted to do. He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's stay here. This will be fun. But you know what? It just couldn't happen. The mountaintop had to come down to the plain. You see, Jesus' work wasn't finished, wasn't it? He had to come down, and he had to leave. In fact, that's what he says. He says, Matthew tells us, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The reason why they weren't supposed to tell, because the work wasn't done yet. He had to go to the city of Jerusalem. He had to go and suffer and die. And it was then that the disciples, the apostles, would know exactly why Jesus had come, the fullness of his mission. And you know what? The apostles couldn't stay up there either because the Lord had given them a task to do. And that was to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you know what? That's why we don't stay in church forever and ever either. We walk out those doors and then the other doors and we go out into the world. And we do the things that God wants us to do. Raise our families in Christ. Live in Christ. Be a, be a light to the world and be the salt of the earth. So when we come here on a Sunday, yeah, fill up. Get your mountaintop experience. But then come down from the mountain and go work on the plane. Amen? Amen. That's what they do in the South. And all of God's people say, all right. <laughs>